Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, Scott has a conversation with Lynn Coick on her work on Philippians in the Story of God commentary series. Well, Lynn, it's really good to hear you and uh, to get to talk to you about your work on Philippians. Well, thank you, Scott. It's great to be able to visit with you about uh, an epistle that I have spent some time in and love spending time. It's a wonderful short epistle. Yeah, I, uh, I've worked on Romans lately, and it's a whole lot more problematic than <laughs> Philippians. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I was smart when they asked, uh, invited me to participate in this fabulous series, The Story of God. Uh, I, I wondered, okay, what, what's my stamina? I don't, I don't think I have the stamina of a Romans. <laughs> Philippians fit a little better. You know, I'm translating the New Testament right now, and I'm in 1 Corinthians. And there are so many, there are a lot of translation problems in 1 Corinthians. I thought chapter 4 was tough. Wow. And, uh, and I've read these letters, you know, but for a long time. But once you start translating, you got to... You know, you got to make decisions. You just don't let the conventional translation float by. Well, Lynn, in your work on Philippians, I know you have given some attention to the significance of the two women at the end of the letter in chapter 4 that we normally pronounce Euodia and Syntyche. And I wonder if maybe you could tell our audience what you think their significance is, or at least you think it might be for this letter. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you're starting with the easy questions. Is that it, the non-controversial? That's the at, non-controversial. at the end, Lynn, we do <laughs> ring of fire questions. <laughs> okay. You're going to be glad for Euodia and Syntyche. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you know, actually, to answer that question, uh, we have to, I think, also consider the first verse of the of the epistle where Paul uh, speaks to the Philippians. He talks about them as God's holy people, the saints in Christ who are there at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. It's the only place where Paul, uh, in his introduction, highlights these two categories, although he'll talk about these categories elsewhere uh, in the epistles. But it's interesting that he makes special mention of these categories of, of leaders. And that has prompted people to, to wonder what might be going on. So when you then get to chapter four and, and Paul mentions these two women and he asks them to be of the same mind in the Lord, he's using uh, language there that he has talked about uh, with the Philippians, broadly speaking in, in chapter two, as he's enjoining all of them to be of the same mind as they uh, come together and then uh, exhibit care one for another. Um, the fact that that Paul introduces the letter the way he does, the fact that he names these two uh, disciples or these two people in the in the congregation again, a very rare move. Paul tends not to do that unless he's you know in the closing of the letter or something like that. But yep. otherwise, it's really rare. And then the fact that he uses language that. He uses elsewhere to speak of all of the uh, Philippians in the sense of trying to come together. And then finally, he, uh, he talks about how they, uh, they have contended at my side. They've been my 
coworkers. Um, all of those things add up to suggest to me that in fact these were leaders in the in the community. Um, they may have even had the title of overseer or deacon, um, but in at the very least, I think these were women that had tremendous influence in the community. And Paul was very concerned that their disagreement would be uh, very debilitating for the community's life as a whole, their oneness in Christ that he stresses so much throughout the epistle. Now, do you think they're at odds with one another? I think they are uh, at odds with each other. I, I think they both are uh, on, on Paul's team. So I don't think that uh, they're... One of them is not against Paul. Uh, I think they are against each other. Um, and I think that it is a, uh, it, it's a disagreement over the missional means to an end. I don't think they disagree on the foundational pieces of the, of the gospel message. Because I think if they did, if they disagreed theologically, then I think Paul would be able to address that. It doesn't seem like they they disagree theologically. Um, I think they, so they, you know, we have this all the time in our churches of the church might agree on what the gospel means, but how are we allocating our resources? Are we going to spend more money to send more missionaries or are we going to set up a community center right here where we are? You know, churches talk about this all the time. And I can imagine these two women uh, having that kind of discussion. They may have had uh, individual smaller house church kind of things meeting in each of their homes. Um, we don't, I, they're not setting up factions like, or at least we don't have the evidence they're setting up factions like what you see in 1 Corinthians. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, maybe Paul's worried that it could lead that way. And so he wants <laughs> to try and, and catch it before it does. Very good. Now, now, from that easy question, we go to the second one. In, in chapter 3, Paul, in many ways, talks about his conversion, uh, or at least the difference between his former life and his present life. And Lynn, you're really good at this. So share with our listeners uh, how you see Paul's relationship to Judaism uh, in light of what you know about Philippians, especially chapter 3. Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, uh, I like to remember that Paul always remained a Jew. He never was not a Jew. He was a Jew who followed Jesus. And and as such, we could call him a Christian in, in that, but we'd almost have to put scare quotes around that label because in Paul's time, that wouldn't have been the kind of familiar term the way it is today. So. Yeah. He, yeah, so he remained Jewish. That's how he understood himself. And if you look at the book of Acts, you know that he goes to Jerusalem several times. He goes up to the temple. Uh, he fulfills a vow in the temple. I mean, he he does the sorts of things that Jews are known to do. Um, so he, he, re he retains that uh, heritage. He also happened to be uh, a, a well-educated Jew. He, uh, he was a diaspora Jew, which means he was born outside of Judea and Galilee. He was born in Tarsus. Uh, but there would have been a strong Jewish community there. And he grew up uh, comfortable then in a, a Greco-Roman setting, in, a, in a, a 
sort of a Greek city. He would have known Greek very well, but also his he, he was very passionate for his uh, ancestral faith. So he goes back to Jerusalem. I suspect that he could uh, read Hebrew. Um, you know, he was engaged at that level because he calls himself a Pharisee. And, and so we he's going to be educated, very much educated in the in the biblical text. Uh, he quotes from the um, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. I mean, he, he's a he's a smart guy all the way around. Now, I'm emphasizing all of this because what I think chapter three in Philippians tells us is that Paul had a lot to be proud of. And people would have shown him honor because of his heritage as, uh, as a Jew, because of his learning as, as a Jew, and then because of his commitment. He wasn't just a Jew, but he picked a particular sect of Judaism, the, the Pharisees. So he, he, he was like invested. He was strongly invested. He'll tell the Galatians that he, um, yeah, tell the Galatians in chapter one how zealous he was, you know, and so that to say is that then when you come to chapter three of Philippians, when he says that he gives up things, he really is actually giving up a lot in terms of the social world and the religious world that he comes from. He's not, he doesn't downplay education. He doesn't downplay his Jewish heritage in and of itself. What he does is compare it to, as he puts it, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And so it's not so much trying to be against Judaism as it is trying to be for Jesus and the film. So he, so he's not saying when he uses the word rubbish, scubalon, mm -hmm. he's not saying that Judaism is scubalon. He's saying my, my status and my position, my location, my uh, privilege in that environment, I no longer consider of any value to me. That's right. I mean, where, why, where was my self worth located, and yeah. and in his world, it could be located in having zeal, uh, knowing the law very well. Uh, you know, but he, he never he, he it uh, he's looking at it in in a sense. Those are all the world's classifications. Think about how he describes Second Corinthians, how he describes those quote unquote super apostles. You'll yeah. find he talks a lot about these same labels. Are they Hebrews? So am I, you know, and, yeah. and it, it, you know, those are sort of badges of honor. Those, those bring prestige. And Paul is saying, you know, that uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to trade in those anymore. Uh, there, that way of thinking about myself is, is, um, using the world's valuation, not, uh, not being in Christ. It is good to say these things because uh, it is too easy to slide into thinking that Paul is debunking Judaism and that his real issue is Judaism. It, it's not so much Judaism. It's where he was in that and where he is now. And his, his more or less opponents, his Jewish type opponents in his letters are almost always believing Jewish opponents, not uh, just... Uh, unbelieving opponent. So I think about this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you think about this. Where does he go in verse 10 here in chapter three? I want to know Christ. But what does that mean? What does the Messiah mean? Well, for him, it means the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering. That's the essence of the gospel. You're not going to get that 
through a an application of of the law. And so, it, but it's not that the law is bad. You know, you're looking yeah, in, yeah. in Romans there. You know, chapter seven, the law um, doesn't within itself have the energy necessary to fulfill it. Yeah, um, yeah. Christ gives us that that power. The other thing I wanted to say, if you don't mind, um, is the very beginning of chapter three, where Paul uh, is quite. Uh, frustrated at those he calls those dogs, those yeah, yeah. Uh, evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And I'm thinking that today, in today's world, that almost can sound like an angry tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how we, you know, we're, we're all, especially now, we have such an opportunity to, uh, to kind of lash out. Uh, and I've been thinking about that comment in Paul, and then earlier in chapter one, where he talks about those who preach Christ out of envy. And later in chapter three, he'll talk about those who are enemies of the cross. And as I kind of think, we try and model ourselves after Paul, what, what is he demonstrating here with that very strong language in chapter three? And I think for, uh, for Paul, as he uh, is uh, so strong in his language, I think the reason that he uh, speaks in such language is because he's worried that those in, in Philippi would confuse what, what the root of the gospel is. So Paul will go on to say in chapter three, we are the circumcision. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so if I think while it may sound like he is, um, uh, is being very rude to his enemies in the way that often happens today on social media, I think actually what Paul is all about here is about the gospel. You yeah, notice yeah. that in chapter one, he says, you know, those people are doing this out of uh, envy, uh, you know, trying to bring me down here while I'm in prison. What does he say? I don't care. He says, I, I don't care so long as Christ is preached. And I think that distinction Paul makes between if you're attacking me and my character, you know what, that that's up to the Lord to, to deal with. But if you are trying to present a, a different gospel to my congregation, whoa, wait a minute. I, I'm drawing the line there. I, I'm absolutely going to challenge your, your gospel if it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Okay, those were, those were the easy ones. Now the, now the hard one, Pat. Uh, You're just warming up, huh? Yeah, yeah. What were your favorite, what was your favorite passage in writing the commentary on Philippians? Um, I don't know if this, uh, yeah, it's like, what's your favorite child? Yeah, that's not, <laughs> um, but you know, something that came to, to mind, my, my book is, uh, dedicated to a couple that we, um, met while we lived in Kenya and I greatly admired them. And at the last, as I was just finishing up the, the book, my friend Denise, um, uh, uh, lost her battle with uh, cancer, and she was such a role model uh, to me. And one of the things that, uh, and she was a role model because she she strove each and every day to be faithful. Her goal was not to be successful; it was to be faithful. And mm -hmm. and so, ironically, one of the passages that I found most helpful as I was going through Philippians is in chapter two when he talks about Epaphroditus. There's a guy who 
it seems as though, was very excited to join Paul in his ministry. The Philippians sent him, presumably with those hopes that he would stay with Paul for a while. And for whatever reason, uh, Paul sends him back. And I've wondered if Epaphroditus ever felt like a failure. He tells the Philippians to receive him back with joy because maybe because uh, Epaphroditus himself uh, was potentially feeling like he he didn't measure up in some in some way and and so with Epaphroditus when Paul has to send him back but once but but still praises him I think okay there's space then for each each of us to just uh, just be faithful. Don't worry about whether you're quote unquote successful. And then I would say secondly, that that story also reminds me of how human Paul is. As he says that he was so thankful to God that Epaphroditus didn't die, that mm-hmm. God spared him sorrow upon sorrow um, in that. Now in chapter one, of course, we have this very bold claim for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I feel like at times Christians assume that what Paul means there is that we shouldn't grieve. But in fact, Paul's very open with, um, he, do- he doesn't want one of his friends uh, to pass away. He, he, would, he knows that had Epaphroditus die, he would have been uh, very sorrowful. So I just feel like in that little snapshot that we have of Paul's relating to this person that we don't really know that much about, otherwise, we, we get to see a realness of ministry in the first century that I think can help us in our ministries today. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen that vulnerability, especially in 2 Corinthians, where he's dealing with a whole church that seems to be against him. Yes. Okay, in writing the commentary... Uh, what what were the biggest surprises, or did you have any big surprise? Ah, big surprise. Um, I don't know that I. Hmm. You know, it's it's just I'll hard just, work. I mean, it's, it's just <laughs> I don't know if that's a surprise anyone or not for me, and maybe it's not hard work for you. For me, just the uh, the discipline of writing on a regular basis. Um, uh, is it you know it's not surprising but there's a blessing in in that just kind of regular going back uh, going back to things I I did love the you know we have those lists the those three um, sections in, e- in with each passage of listen to the passage and explain the passage and then live the passage and I really did enjoy exploring the section on live the live the message because uh, gave me a chance to explore Christian history. Yeah. Well, and you were good at this. Uh, and and commentary writing is the word I often use, even on this podcast, is a grind. It's not like a, um, you know, I've never written a novel, so I can't compare it to that kind of thing. But some books, just once you get going, it just, they just flow. But a commentary, you start a new passage and you have to start all over again. Yep. To, to make sense of that passage in its context. Yes, there's flow, but you still have to look at the Greek and you have to work through the text and settle some Greek grammatical and syntactical issues and sort out some of the commentaries. And it, it's, it's, it's a lot of grind. 
And, uh, and that can be surprising, uh, especially to the first time commentary writer. And it sounded to me like, now maybe you had seen this many times before, that this whole thing about Epaphroditus and even Iodians uh, and Tyche were kind of surprising delights for you to explore even more than perhaps you'd ever done. I know this happens to me. When I start writing the commentary, I start writing a book on a passage, I feel like I've known this passage, and then the more I get into it, I, I feel like, wow, there was a lot more here than I knew. Yeah, I, I, I loved going through Philippians because it is overall a joyful book. Uh, there's some heavy theology in it for sure, but, but it's overall a joyful book. And, and uh, I think part of the joy comes from Paul's close connection with the, uh, with the Philippians. And so I think that also um, just made writing, even though I, I absolutely agree with you, this notion of grind. I mean, there's just a lot of detail you have to focus on. It was made uh, pleasant by the, by the, the, the chance for me to kind of get into the world of Philippi in that, and, and how Paul brings to, to light the various people. It, it felt real to me. You know, you, you had yeah. interpersonal dynamics going on at all kinds of levels. Okay. Okay. Lynn. Now, yeah. now, now the really hard ones come. I call these the ring of fire questions. Okay. You ready? Yeah. If, okay. if you could teach or preach in any church in the world, where would it be? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Wherever they would invite me. Oh, that is just too, too solid of a biblical Pauline answer. <laughs> just as long as you got to preach about Jesus, it doesn't matter where it is. Yeah, okay. All right. If you now here's a here's a hard question. If you could ban any theologian or ban reading any theologian, who would it be? Any theologian who promotes uh, the prosperity gospel. Okay. Yeah, no one yet has named any names, and everybody does the same thing. Okay, which writer, which author would you say, I wish people would quit reading that person? Oh, uh, you're going to get me in, in trouble here. Um, okay, you're, you're an administrator at a major seminary, so I will, I will get you out of that question. All right, who's your favorite novelist? Uh, um. Oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> I can't remember her name. That uh, who wrote *Pride and Prejudice*? What am I thinking of? Jane Austen. Jane Austen. Okay, no. you know who I've really gotten to read? I like Willa Cather. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading right now *The Song of the Lark*. It is an amazing novel. I'm really enjoying. It. Okay, who's your, what's your favorite sport? Say the right one here. Uh, the, my, oh, I'm not going to say the one that you want me to say. Uh, okay. my favorite is uh, show jumping, Olympic show jump. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm an equestrian. I'm an equestrian. I, I don't know that that's a sport. It, it is an Olympic sport. And do you know what? It, and I think sailing are the only Olympic sports where men and women compete together on the same team. Okay. You win on this one. Who's your favorite athlete? Lynn Swan. Lynn Swan. And what is he? For? He's on the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Yeah. And his name is spelled the same as mine. So growing up, I thought, wow, how cool is that? I'm going to be able to, in my raised and glorified body, be able to do the um, catch leaning with my toes still in the end zone. Catch that. Oh, he was good. And yeah, yeah, that's going to be me. Your favorite movie? Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Your favorite song? Uh, let's say something from the Little River Band. Reminiscing. Okay. The Little River Band. Well, no, I don't even know who this is. My dating years and, you know, with the man I was dating is now my husband for 30 some years. And anyway, we like. All that. right. Would you like to see Texas become a country of its own? No. <laughs> oh, the Texans do. All right. Have okay, you seen. Yeah. Have you seen one of these movies, Walk the Line, Mamma Mia 2, or the new Mary Poppins movie? Yeah, the new Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? I loved it. It it was so nice. I loved the costumes, and the singing was amazing. The children's uh, singing especially yeah. was great. And then I loved the celebrity um, shots, you know, a um, few of the older actors and actresses who would have been part of earlier fun movies of my childhood and and emily blunt's role was so prim and proper and stiff compared to to julie andrews it was kind of fun wasn't it yeah it was it was really good they i really enjoyed it okay lynn uh i really appreciate you taking time uh to be on our podcast and to answer these questions and i'm just hoping that you will get some people, you will whet people's appetite to read your Philippians and to study it and to live it and to preach it and teach it in whatever ministry context they have. But I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today, Lynn. Thank thank you, Scott. And, and I think, isn't our final uh, sign-off, Go Cubs? Isn't that how we end up these things? <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm from Chicago, but I know, I, but you I, had your chance. You had your chance on the favorite sport. No, I want to be truthful. I wanted to be truthful. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Okay. Thank you, Lynn. All right. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Thanks again, Lynn, for joining us. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us as well. I hope you were encouraged as I was to hear a little bit of Paul's heart. And as that came out to the church in Philippi that he was writing to, and um, just so encouraging to hear about the joy that came from that community and that he wrote about and that Lynn was able to investigate and unpack a little bit for us as we explore the story of God. So thanks again for joining us. And we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 